hey, we, we, we went either a little bit early or a little bit later, right? So those of you who are used to coming here at 8, I know what you were doing. I know that you utilized that time to go for an 8-mile run. Who, who did that? Who, who, loves, who loves exercise? I mean, just, yeah, me either. You know, if you know me, you know how deeply I am into health food. And, uh, and, and all of that right living stuff, you know, healthy donuts, uh, exercising my arms so that I can, you know, make sure I get the food from the plate into my mouth, which I'm pretty much looking forward to right after I'm done speaking. And I know most of you are going, speak faster, Pastor Mark, we want to get to the tacos. <laughs> but today I wanted to kick things off on this sun, uh, kickoff Sunday with a, a, a Pastor Mark top 10 list. Pastor Mark, top 10 insights into fitness and exercise. Who's excited? I thought you would be. Now, these are insights that I have heard expressed over the years. Insights about exercise. Number 10. I decided exercise should be like trick-or-treating. Walk 20 feet, get a piece of candy. Walk another 20 feet, get a piece of candy. I mean, that would be good exercise, right? Maybe we could do CPR that way. I don't know. Number nine. My grandpa started walking five miles a day when he was 60. Now he's 97 years old and we don't know where he is. (laughs) Number eight. I like long walks, especially when they're taken by people who annoy me. Not that that would include anybody here. Number seven, I have to walk early in the morning before my brain figures out what I'm doing. Who's, who's there? Number six, I joined a health club last year, spent about 400 bucks, haven't lost a pound. Apparently, you have to go there to make it work. Number five, every time I hear the dirty word exercise, I wash my mouth out with chocolate. Number four, I have flabby thighs, but fortunately my stomach covers them. (laughs) Number three, the advantage of exercising every day is so that when you die, they'll say, wow, he looks really good, doesn't he? (laughs) Number two, I don't have to exercise. If God wanted me to touch my toes, he would have put them up higher on my body. And the number one reason or number one insight into exercise and fitness is, I am in shape. Round is a shape. (laughs) Well, I actually applaud those who actually do take time and exercise and take care of our physical body. The the Lord did say that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we are to take care of our body. But today we're going to take a look at not just our physical body, but even more importantly, our spiritual body, our spiritual shape. This fall, we're going to uh, uh, start a series called uh, um, The Passionate Life, uh, Life Shapes of a Disciple. And it actually uses geometric shapes to as a springboard for conversation about what discipleship really is. And uh, as a follower of Jesus, that's what it means to be a disciple, a learner, a student, and so I'm really excited. It's, it's based upon a book that's written by Michael Breen. And Michael Breen is really an amazing person when it comes to uh, helping us understand what it truly means to be a, a disciple. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to do a little intro today to that. 
Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the first followers of Jesus. These are the very first followers. Not the disciples, they're part of it too. But these are the ones who, boom, became believers in one day and what they focused on. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking, focusing on this passage in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. If you have the blue Bibles there in the pews, there it's on page 772. I always encourage you to bring your Bibles to worship because I think that's how you can get, you can mark it up and and that question that says, you know, what is God saying and what am I supposed to do with it is always a question we can ask when we have our own Bibles. But if you don't, we will provide one for you there. But before we really get into this passage, I want to bring some context into how, where this passage comes from. You, you have to remember that it's Acts chapter 2 happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, I'm, all of us have heard probably the word Pentecost or Pentecostal the day that the Holy Spirit came. But not all of us really understand what was going on. Why, why was Pentecost such a big day? You have to remember that Pentecost is a festival that the people of Israel celebrated every single year, going all the way back into the very beginning of, of the people. So every year, Pentecost was one of the three main festivals that the people of Israel would, would celebrate together as a people. So the, the first one is Passover, which take, takes place in late March, early April. Passover, of course, corresponds with our Easter because Passover was when Jesus literally became the Passover lamb, died on the cross for us, died and rose again. Fifty days after that, Pentecost, Pente, five, is when, Je is when this day took place in the same year that Jesus rose. It is a, a festival of the first fruits became that for that. And then the, the third festival is the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths. Tabernacle in the Bible literally means to spend time with, be in the presence of. A tabernacle was a tent, the tent that they ha would have worship in. God's presence was tabernacling with the people in that, and that will be fulfilled one day in the new heaven and the new earth where, where uh, Revelation chapter 21 says that now the dwelling or the tabernacle of God is with people. They will always be in His presence. God Himself will be there, and we look forward to that day. So what is special about this particular Pentecost? Now you've got to remember what happened every time one of these festivals took place. Everybody from as far as they could, if you could make it to Jerusalem for the festival, you were supposed to go. And they would come from countries all over and jam the streets of Jerusalem. It's not unlike probably what happens in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Anybody been to Times Square on New Year's Eve? Why? I've heard once you go in, you can't even get out to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, you know, I, just, I like watching Dick Clark, right? It just... It, He's not there anymore, I understand that. <laughs> but I mean, it's just wall-to-wall -wall people, right? It's crazy. It's, it's not unlike the, the Avo Festival in Fallbrook in April, right? Another reason. No, we won't go there. But it's just jammed, right? And so the day of Pentecost comes and boom, you hear the sound of this rushing wind. All of the followers of Jesus were together in one place, it says. Well, who are the, all the followers? Well, there's the eleven disciples that were still left and then there was about a hundred others a little over a hundred others who were together they were praying jesus said wait 
wait until you are clothed with the Holy Spirit. So they didn't know how long they were going to wait. So they're all together. They're praying. The day of Pentecost comes. A sound of a rushing wind comes. And now we're talking like, I mean, it's probably not unlike some of the hurricane type winds. It was, everybody noticed it. Everybody felt it. They saw it. They experienced it. And then it says something like tongues of fires rested on the, the apostles' head. And they began to speak in languages that they had never spoken. What did they speak? They, they spoke the mysteries of God to people who were there from all over the world. Now, how many of you have traveled to a country that doesn't speak English? Anybody raise your hand, right? If you are in a, a country that doesn't speak English and you just listen to some, the language that you don't understand, it just sounds like mumbo jumbo, a lot like what my sermon sounds like probably. But all of a sudden, I remember one time when I was in France, all of a sudden from about 200 yards away, I could hear someone speak English and instantly my ear went to it. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. People heard in their own language the mysteries of God. And Peter himself, the leader of the followers of Jesus, stands up and he begins to address the crowd because they're saying, these people, they look like they're drunk. Peter's going, it's only 9 a.m. Not that you can't get drunk at 9 a.m., but that's not the deal here. This is actually a fulfillment of, of the Old Testament prophecy by the prophet Joel who said, God says, in the last days, before my judgment comes, I will send my Holy Spirit on all flesh. He says that your daughters and your sons will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. I am going to speak to my people, not just through one person, but through everybody. I'm going to speak and give my Holy Spirit to everybody, and it'll be available to everybody. And so that's the backdrop. And Peter began to speak about what happened. He says, you know what? People gathered here for Pentecost. Fifty days ago, you killed Jesus. Someone who most of you saw perform miracles. Some of you, you all know who he was. You killed him on the cross. You think that that was a defeat. But I'm here to tell you that that was God's victory. Because not only did he die on the cross, but he rose again. Amen? Amen. And, he, and Peter says that is a fulfillment of God's plan that salvation will come through Jesus. The Bible says that all the people were cut to the heart. What does that mean? It means that they're going, wow, this is a message for me. What must we do? Peter says, repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. And salvation will come to you. And that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. 3,000 people who were not believers became believers. And we call that the birthday of the church. Such a great backdrop. Think about it. 3,000 people who really don't know anything about Jesus all of a sudden become believers in Jesus. What do you do with 3,000 newborn babes? Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So go to your Bible, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know if you picked it up, but as I read that passage, the word that just keeps coming again and again and again is this word, together. See, there's a fallacy that often happens in faith. And people think, well, I've come to faith. I believe in Jesus. I know that he died on the cross, that he rose again. I believe in that. And, and, and I love God. God's awesome. And, and, and that's kind of the focus. It's just like, it's me and God. And it's me and God. And that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is, yes, we need to have the vertical understanding of our relationship with God, but also God has given the church to us to do life together. The first believers devoted themselves to life together. And that really is the emphasis that we are going to be focusing on, especially this fall, is how we can do life together. They, they studied God's Word together. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They experienced miracles together. They were generous together, and they met in each other's homes together. Because that is... It's how God has intended us to live out our life of faith. You see, the Bible, Jesus said, is summed up in, in, in these two sentences. Yes, indeed, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. But he said the second commandment is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Are we doing life together? You see, Jesus gave us each other so that we could do life together. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, we, we focused on this passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What a significant verse. Why? Because when we rejoice and when we weep together, we're doing life together. Because life can be hard, right? Life is hard at times. We've experienced that just recently in the news, right? Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, fires in northern, northern California and all around, all around the west, all kinds of natural disasters. We are recognizing tomorrow the 16th anniversary of probably one of the most difficult days in our nation's history. And that is the, the, what happened with the Twin Towers in the Pentagon. But something happens when difficult things happen and we can come together. Something happens very powerfully that doesn't always get focused on in the news. And that is that God's people have an opportunity to hold each other up. I love uh, Fred Rogers. Who, who, who watched uh, uh, Mr. Rogers? Learn how to, learn how to you know, do my shoes and my cardigan on that show. But Fred Rogers actually is a Presbyterian minister. Did you know that? And he said this one time. He said, When I was a boy and I would see 
something disturbing on the news, something that scared me, my mother would say, always look for the helpers. Always look for the people who are doing something, helping others in the midst of a tragedy. And I think this is the opportunity that the church gets to be and to do life together. Is when life is hard, we can be there for each other. One of the things I appreciate about this congregation, someone who's coming home from surgery, call up, there's food if, if you need it. Someone lost a loved one just recently. A bunch of people from this church brought food over, gathered around, supported, found ways to do that. That's what life together is. And what we're doing in this fall is we're, we're um, forming these life together groups. Now, I know many of you are in groups already, and that's great. But these life together groups are, 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 are the intent is for us to be able to put feet to our faith and engage God's word and say, how do we live this out? How do we put this into practice every single day when we go to work in our neighborhoods, when we've come up against challenges, when we come up against joys? Because you know what? Life isn't just hard, but life is also good. And sometimes we need each other to kind of sift through the good. You know, we, did, we had a, a birth this morning. We got to celebrate together. Who, who wants to say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Rejoice. With those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Walk with each other. It's how the church has had an impact in our world for 2,000 years. And it's what God has called us to. Everything that Alan was talking about a few moments ago, we can't have a committee of one. We need to come together around that. This is what God has called us to do. He said, go. He didn't say stay. He said go. Go and make disciples, right? We were talking about it yesterday at the, in the men's breakfast. And, and I've used this analogy before, but I, I found that not everything that comes out of this mouth always sinks into everybody's ears. It doesn't always sink into my ears. But how many of you yesterday said, man, I'm getting low on fuel in my car. I'm going to go hang out at Arco all day tomorrow. Because Arco is the bomb, right? I mean, they got sodas. They've got hot dogs that have been spinning on the, the thing for three or four months. I mean, Arco, Arco's the best. I'm going to go hang out at Arco. And then you go, and you, yeah, you fuel up your car. But you, you know, you talk to the guy behind the, the register, and you... And say, well, do I want a Snickers, or do I want M&M's, do I want chips, do I want that hot dog? Do we do that? Gosh, I hope not. Get a life, right? No, we go to Arco typically for one reason. That is to fill up. So that we can go do what we're supposed to do. We're going to go to work. We can go to school. We can, we can go on a trip. We can, we can do what we need to do. You don't go to Arco to stay at Arco. And folks, we don't come to church to stay at church. I'm, I, I love having comfortable places to sit and good music and, and good fellowship. But guys, that is not what we were created for. We were created to go. 
and to touch lives. I was talking to a, one of our guys yesterday, and he was talking about, you know what, Pastor Mark, I, I don't know how uh, much of an impact I've had in the church, but I know that, that I've been able to reach out to my dad. And I know I've been able to share Christ with my dad. And my dad, who really wasn't even a believer at all, is, is now a believer. But he, you know what, Pastor Mark, he's never going to come to this church. We're never going to find the benefit of having him be in this church. I said, so what? It's not about getting people here. It's about getting people in the kingdom of God. And God has us out there. Did you know that God has you out there in your neighborhoods, in your families, places that others can't get to that has you? Alan said, hey, you know what my testimony is? Is I was 17 years old, didn't know anything about the gospel, didn't know anything about church, but hey, got invited. And by the time I was done, they, whatever they had is what I wanted. Do you want to know more? What's your story? What's your story? See, the gospel is not spread by professionals. The gospel is spread by real people who take real life and live it out in the grace and love of Christ and share it with others. It's how it's always been. And sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we think, well, that's the pastor's job. Well, I'm, I'm doing my best. But look at this. This room is filled with 400 people. 400 arms out into this community. 400 relationships beyond these walls that God could touch through our lives. Yes, we need to come. We need to be refueled. We need to, we need to hear the Word of God. We need to hear the message that God's grace is just as real for us today as it was five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago, whatever it's been. But we hear it so that we can go. That's how the church has always been. It's a great clip that I want to share with you that just gives us a sense of impact of what the church has done over the millennia. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. 
Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen in Felton Church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? It's a question we need to constantly ask. I don't know if you're connected with other Christians. I don't know if you're connected with other believers. But I don't think we can do this without. I know some of you are. I know some of you aren't at a place where maybe that will work right now. But some of you are. And you don't know how to get connected. I want to invite you. Right now, even though you probably filled out a blue card already, fill out another one. Say, Pastor Mark, I don't know how to get involved in a, in a, in a life together group, but I want to. You see, we're making it real simple. It's all about relationships, and it's all about relationships around the Word of God. I'll give you a sample of what we're going to be talking about each week. We're going to provide this in the bulletin. We're going to provide it for anybody who wants it. The four W's. First of all is a welcome. Many of, many of the groups are gathering around some food. Who's excited about that? Come together around food. There's something powerful the Bible talks about that we're breaking bread together. We eat together. We spend time together. There's a welcome around food, around fellowship, connection with one. Everybody gets a chance to just check in. Worship. You think, well, I'm not a guitar player. I can't lead worship. You know what? There's lots of different ways to do worship. Might be surrounded with music. Might be just an exercise to say, where do we see God today? What are we thankful for? How can we get connected in a connection with God? Three, the Word. Based upon the message that comes from Sunday morning, we'll have questions and discussion places around the Word of God and how that impacts our life right now. Very simple places for all of us to, to connect with one another and, and to support one another. And then finally, witness. What are we going to do with the word that we have tonight or today? What are we going to do with it? What's God saying? It's a place where we can support one another, pray for one another. It's a place that we can say, how can we together have an impact? How can we have fun together? How can we celebrate together? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. My hope is that this becomes the movement for connecting people with Christ because one of the main emphasis in each of our groups is going to be an empty chair. The empty chair is a reminder to say, you know what? We're not supposed to stay just us. 
we're supposed to invite others, others who aren't connected to Christ, those others who maybe don't know who Jesus is, invite them. And as that group grows, we multiply and we raise up new leaders. And we're going to be talking about that, not just in this, these next few weeks, but in the months and years to come. This is the model that God has given to us to add people to the kingdom of God. Whether they ever darken the doors of this particular congregation or not, we want to introduce them to Jesus. What's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? This morning I just had something on my heart and I just felt like there's somebody or somebodies out there who just need personal prayer. And I just want you to know that after the service today, if you would like to have personal prayer, I know, I know Doug and Bobby, or Doug and Bobby? Raise your hand, Doug and Bobby. Doug and Bobby are prayer warriors. If you want to have someone pray over you, if you need healing, if you have questions about faith, if you're just in a place of struggle, I want you to know that they are available for prayer. Tara, would you be willing to be? I'm just calling you out right now. Is that okay? All right. Tara, raise your, wave your hand. So that's Pastor Bob's wife, Tara. She'd be happy to pray with you too. If you need prayer, they devoted themselves to prayer. The early baby Christians. If you're new to this, or if this is something that you've been involved in for years, God wants to do something new. Amen? Mm. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of the church. I thank you that we can serve you, that we can go through life together. Lord, sometimes with our busy schedules and our other commitments, stuff gets crowded out, but I pray, Lord, that you would open up the opportunities for us to get together. Lord, whether we're already in a group or need to be in a new group, we pray, Lord, that you would multiply this effort, multiply this experience. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us each other. Thank you for this particular church. May we continue to be your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece of grace to the world. In Jesus' name. Beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus, you